0: M. S. W. Media. Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Monday, August 23rd, 2021. Today, the Department of Justice is investigating the planners of the insurrection. The MAGA bomb threat guy is hit with weapons of mass destruction charges. The FDA is planning to announce full use authorization for the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Biden erases student debt for another large chunk of Americans. Lawrence Tribe calls on his former Harvard Law student Merrick Garland to criminally investigate Trump. And a U.S. lab is on the verge of nuclear fusion. I'm Alison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg.
1: Hey, Dana, how are you? I'm good, my friend. Happy
0: uh, Monday? Monday. Yeah. What day is it? <laughs> <It's> Monday. <laughs> I just voted no on the recall yes. of Gavin Newsom and popped my ballot into the mailbox. Fantastic. So uh, everybody do that. Don't not do it. Please, please, please. We have so much at stake. Mm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That elder guy. I don't want to think about it. Yeah. No. I don't, oh, my God. Someone talk about him. Nope. He's freaking me out. So y- you might notice that I dropped a nuclear fusion bomb. Yeah.
1: I did <laughs> notice that bomb you dropped. Please tell me more.
0: <laughs> well, the reason is because, as you know, I went to Naval Nuclear Power Training Command. I'm kind of big on fusion as an alternative fuel source. The National Ignition Facility uses a powerful laser to heat and compress hydrogen fuel, initiating fusion. And an experiment has suggested the goal of ignition, where the energy released by fusion exceeds that delivered by the laser, is now within touching distance. Wow. Yeah. Harnessing fusion, the process that powers the sun, could provide a limitless, limitless clean energy source. And an experiment carried out on 8th of August, yielded 1.35 megajoules of energy. That's around 70% of the laser energy delivered to fuel the capsule. A reaching ignition means getting a fusion yield that's greater than the 1.9 megajoules put in by the laser.
1: But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21
2: gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! I
0: So that's super cool, right? Because the way that we normally do nuclear reactors, Dana, is fission. Right. And so we introduce a neutron into the nucleus of an unstable element, usually uranium-235. It fissions, and that creates more neutrons. And those neutrons collide with the hydrogen atom in water or heavy water to move them faster, which makes hot water, right? We're just making hot water. All of that was super hot, by the way. Continue. (laughs) Continue. But fusion, instead of splitting the nucleus, actually fuses two two lighter elements together, fusing them. And then the energy output is actually bigger than what goes into it. Sort of a weird, like, Newton will be mad because, you know, of the laws of conservation of energy and mass. But, uh, you know, they are using these lasers to do this. And we have, you know, you have to do it under super high temperatures and super high pressure. But again, like almost purely clean energy.
1: I mean, if we can get a purely clean energy source, I think Newton can get over it. It'll
0: <laughs> <laughs> be fine, right? He'll be fine. You, Newton. Yeah, this is the fuck Newton episode of the right. show. And I know, again, that's not political news, but it is, right? Because of the, the massive climate crisis that we're facing. 100%
1: political news.
0: So I dropped it in there today. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, later, we're going to be talking to John Boniface, and he's really kind of spearheading this 14th Amendment, Section 3 mm-hmm. rule to keep Trump off the ballot in 2024. So we're going to be talking to him later in the show. So that's rad. What else? I, I voted and, oh, Sunday in D.C., we're going to be having a brunch for patrons, for Daily Bean's patrons. Oh, that'll be nice. I'm so sorry I can't make it. So that's Sunday, August 29th. We do have a couple of special guests that will be arriving. And so if you're not a patron, you can it's three bucks a month, you know, just do it. And uh, then you can RSVP on the Patreon page for the Daily Beans. Da- it's patreon.com slash wrote, You get all the shows. All right. With that out of the way, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Baby, all right. So over the weekend, Reuters, who, as we know, recently partnered with TASS, which is a Russian news outlet, released a story with the headline, FBI finds scant evidence that the U.S. Capitol attack was coordinated. What the headline should have said is FBI is investigating the coordinators of the attack or FBI has found evidence that the insurrection was coordinated. (laughs) Scant evidence doesn't mean zero. Anyway, hours later, the Department of Homeland Security released a memo. So let me read, first of all, a bit from the Reuters report. Reuters says FBI investigators did find that cells of protesters, including followers of the far right Oath Keepers and Proud Boys groups, had aimed to break into the Capitol. But they found no evidence that the groups had serious plans about what to do if they made it inside. Okay, that doesn't mean that they didn't plan it. (laughs) Prosecutors have filed conspiracy charges against 40 of those defendants, alleging that they engaged in some degree of planning before the attack. That's in this article where they said there was no planning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so far, prosecutors have steered clear of more serious politically loaded charges that the sources said had been initially discussed by prosecutors, such as seditious conspiracy or racketeering. But one source said there has been little, if any, recent discussion by the senior Justice Department officials of filing charges such as seditious conspiracy to accuse defendants of trying to overthrow their government. They have also opted not to bring racketeering charges often used against organized criminal gangs. And here's the here's the buried lead. Senior officials had discussed filing such charges in the weeks after the <laughs> attack, the sources said. Sounds important. Yeah. So then let me read a little bit from this new Department of Homeland Security memo. An internal Department of Homeland Security document reviewed by the Daily Beast describes advanced preparations by Capitol rioters ahead of the January 6th attack and appears to go further than recent descriptions of the FBI's characterization of the Capitol riot. And when they say the FBI's characterization, they mean these four anonymous sources that talk to Reuters. The document's focus on alleged pre-planning adopts a stronger language than recent descriptions of the FBI's investigation characterization of pre-planned violence. In a Friday report, Reuters cited four current and former Law enforcement officials, they're not even there anymore, who said the FBI had found scant evidence of a prearranged capital attack plan. So, as I said, buried lead in the Reuters report is the Department of Justice has been investigating the organizers and planners of this rally, and they were considering racketeering charges as early as mid-January, but that's not how they chose to frame it. And additionally, Lawrence Tribe, who taught Merrick Garland and Obama, by the way, at Harvard Law School, penned an op-ed urging Garland to investigate and prosecute. Trump, if he's not already, he says any president or attorney general who failed to pursue with unrelenting zeal the mission of uncovering and holding perpetrators accountable for crimes fitting within the category of of sedition, perhaps guided by a tradition of giving past presidents in particular an implicit pass, would not only be derelict in their duty to defend the rule of law, but would be lethally endangering the very survival of the American experiment in self-government. Trump's relentlessness has laid bare the defects in many of those accountability mechanisms. Now Garland stands as the final line of defense for our constitutional democracy. No prior attorney general has confronted so daunting a challenge for what might be the first time in his life and what will surely be the last Garland could hold the future of the last best hope on earth in his hands. So, if Garland listens to anyone, <laughs> if he listens to anybody, it's going to You would think. it's going to be Lawrence Tribe. So, Anyway, very cool op-ed. And, and Lawrence Tribe said, hey, I didn't, you, you know, you're all coming at me saying they, they might be already. And, you know, he says, I'm assuming if they're not. So we don't know if they are or aren't. But these previous articles seem to indicate they are and have with zeal. So we'll see. Yeah.
1: Now, the story we started to cover a little bit at the end of last week, uh, the man who prompted an evacuation of the U.S. Capitol and surrounding buildings on Thursday by claiming to have a bomb inside his truck, he faces charges of threatening to use explosives and a weapon of mass destruction charge. So Floyd Ray Roseberry from North Carolina surrendered to authorities Thursday about five hours after he drove a truck onto the sidewalk outside of the Library of Congress and launched a standoff with law enforcement officers. That's what the police said. He had demanded to speak to the president, Mr. Biden, Oh uh, yes, about a range of grievances against the Democratic Party and claimed that if he was shot, his vehicle and four others would explode. Now, officials said they found no bomb in his car, but there were materials that could be used to make explosives. Now, he faces life in prison for the weapons of mass destruction charge. This is some serious shit, and I'm glad that they're actually taking it seriously.
0: Yeah, and this is where Garland is, is a pro, right? Yes. At these kinds of things. So, good, good. WMD charge. Faces life in prison. And more awesome news from the weekend. No, that wasn't awesome news, but awesome news from the weekend. The Biden administration announced Thursday it will automatically erase student debt for more than 300,000 Americans with severe disabilities that leave them unable to earn significant incomes. The move will wipe out more than $5.8 billion in debt, according to the Education Department, and marks the start of a broader overhaul of a program that had been criticized for having overly burdensome rules. Quote, we've heard loud and clear from borrowers with disabilities and advocates about the need for this change, and we're excited to follow through on it. That is Education Secretary Dr. Miguel Cardona. He said that in a statement, On Friday, the federal government offers student debt relief to people who are totally and permanently disabled and have limited incomes. But the current rules require them to submit documentation of their disability and then undergo a three year monitoring period to prove they're not earning any money. You know, advocates have pressed the Education Department to eliminate the monitoring period entirely and to provide automatic debt relief to people who the Social Security Administration already identify as permanently disabled. So under the new action, both demands will be met. Starting in September, the Education Department will start erasing student debt for 323,000 Americans identified in Social Security records as being permanently disabled.
1: Fantastic. And the Food and Drug Administration, they are pushing to approve the pfizer Biotech's two-dose COVID-19 vaccine on Monday, further expediting an earlier timeline for the licensing. This is the licensing the shot, not emergency use. And that's according to people familiar with agencies agency's planning. Regulators? we're working to finish the process by Friday, but we're still working through a substantial amount of paperwork and negotiation with the company. The people familiar with the planning, who were not authorized to speak publicly about it, cautioned that the approval might slide beyond Monday if some components of the review need more time. Now, an FDA spokeswoman declined to comment. The agency had recently set an unofficial deadline for the approval around Labor Day, So the approval is expected to pave the way for a series of vaccination requirements by public and private organizations who were awaiting final regulatory action before putting in effect mandates. Federal and state health officials are also hoping that an approved vaccine will draw interest from some Americans who have been hesitant to take one that's only authorized for emergency use. Like I said, a phenomenon suggested by recent polling. So they've taken polls and a lot of people are saying, hey, listen, when this gets actually approved by the FDA, I will think differently of it. But it, right now, it's just emergency use. Um, I understand the hesitancy. I don't necessarily subscribe to it.
0: Yeah, and I'm wondering what the where they'll move the goalposts. Yeah, exactly. You know, with the, those who never intended to get it but used the emergency use authorization as a as an excuse. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder what they'll say. Oh, it was, it was too fast. It was just. Right. It was yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh the, the FDA is in Biden's pocket. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't trust the government, but pass me that sheep dip, would you? <laughs> Ivermectin. Okay. All right. Yeah. People who call us sheep, literally taking sheep medicine. Okay. Ugh.
1: Okay. Cool. it so one from worms, worms and horses, stomachs or something, Jesus. And, the, and Fox News was pushing this shit. Like hundreds yeah. of people had like to call. Something like
0: 70% of the poison control calls were from. Yes. Po- A dewormer. For horses yeah. and and sheep livestock, yeah. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, and then the FDA puts out an official statement. Y'all stop it! <laughs> it like their their Twitter. <laughs> they're like, y'all stop. It. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for using y'all. Uh, First of all, a gender inclusive pronoun. Yeah. I love that. But also just to be so fucking blunt about it, like we're full on idiocracy mode right now. And and, I mean, the
1: FDA is tweeting, knock it off. Yeah, (laughs)
0: stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Just and then you see the blue check and then you do a double take and you're like, yeah, that's the fucking FDA. All right. Cool. (laughs) All right. Next up, we will be talking with John Banifas and he is supporting the 14th Amendment Section 3 to keep Trump off the 2024 ballot. And I am all for this. We're going to talk about the ins and outs and the feasibility of it right after this break. Stay with us.
2: After these messages, will be right back. Hey,
0: everybody, it's AG for the beans. And I have an exciting new sponsor for today's show. It's called Toodaloo. Now you can say goodbye to trail mix that is bland, boring and extremely unhealthy using ingredients grown with chemicals that can harm you and the planet. Not only that, but most trail mix is filled with processed sugars and dirty nuts that are dry roasted in toxic refined oils like canola, palm or soybean, but not Toodaloo. Toodaloo is the world's first all natural, totally delicious, climate friendly trail mix packed with plant protein, superfoods and adaptogenic herbs like lion's mane, ashwagandha and reishi to help balance and support your body and mind. Toodaloo comes in five unique tasty flavors, chocolate, maple brittle, coffee, barbecue and hot and spicy. The ancient herbs in each flavor promote a specific function in the body, like better skin, better gut health, or a chill mood. I love their barbecue flavor, Smoke Show. It has 42 grams of plant protein per bag. 42 grams of plant protein. It's also low in carbs and supports energy flow to fuel your day. Tootaloo is grain-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, dairy-free, processed, sugar-free, and their packaging is plastic neutral. It's the most satisfying and best-tasting trail mix I've ever had. For each order place, Toodaloo regenerates 100 square feet of polluted farmland back to rich, fertile soil. Nutritious food for you and a cleaner planet for all of us. And we've got a special deal for you. Get $5 off your first order of Toodaloo. Just visit tootaloocom slash beans. That's toodalo ocom slash beans. And Toodaloo is so confident that you'll love it. Each purchase is backed by a 100% best taste guarantee. They will definitely become your favorite go-to snack. Seriously, the taste is amazing. Visit Toodaloo.com slash beans to try it today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by the co-founder of Free Speech for People, which was started in response to Citizens United. And we just recently talked about the lawyer who brought that case, how he recently brought another case about vaccinations at an Indiana university and lost, but vows to take it to the Supreme Court. John Bonifaz, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I love this organization. I've read into it. I've researched it. And I want to know what it was about the Citizens United decision, which lost through the, you know, through the appellate court and district court, but they won in the Supreme Court. What was it about that that made you want to launch free speech for people?
2: Well, on the eve of the re-argument in Citizens United in the fall of 2009, Jeff Clements, who's a former assistant attorney general in Massachusetts, and I, spoke at a forum in Western Massachusetts about the danger that lurked ahead with the Supreme Court's potential ruling in the Citizens United case. As many may know, the Citizens United ruling first was a case that swept away a century of precedent, barring corporate money in our elections. But it began as a very technical case that dealt solely with a specific question of whether a group known as Citizens United uh, would be held accountable under federal campaign finance law, whether they were technically to be held accountable for the broadcasting of advertisements and a film against then Hillary Clinton uh, as a candidate uh, for president. And and the Supreme Court made this into a much bigger case than what the litigants even were seeking to do. Uh, And they had it for re-argument in the fall of 2009. And then As we began to talk, Jeff and I, we were concerned that they were going to go over the cliff and sweep away this century of precedent. And that's really what alarmed us and and alarmed many others. And we wanted to be ready the day that they were to do that with a, a campaign to make clear that the ruling was wrong, that it needed to be overturned by a constitutional amendment, and that we needed to be fighting on all fronts to stop this fiction of corporations being treated as people and money equaling speech and the threats that those doctrines pose to our democracy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the lawyer's name was James Bopp, and uh, he's been sort of a a conservative activist lawyer for quite a long time. But yeah, you're right. He was only seeking to be able to run this 60-minute ad campaign during primary season, and it was very prescient of you to see how that could go over the cliff, as you say, and totally wipe out... pretty much destroy fairness in politics in the United States. And um, I want to know a little bit more about what you say, because you brought up a constitutional amendment, for example. And the pushback on that, at least that I've heard, is do you know how hard it is to get a constitutional amendment? What are your responses to those kinds of things? Because we're hearing that so often now. There's just a piece in The Atlantic on voting rights saying, stop trying to make voters jump through hoops. To meet these new voter suppression laws in the face. Instead, we need to protect voting rights. And I feel like this is kind of the same argument.
2: Absolutely. The fact is is that we need a series of democracy amendments to the Constitution. And in fact, at our website of freespeechofpeople.org, we outline several that we endorse as democracy amendments, including an amendment to the Constitution to affirmatively guarantee the right to vote. But we do not have that language in our Constitution. It's been interpreted by the courts in the past as a fundamental right under the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment. But in reality, what we have are guarantees uh, against discrimination uh, in voting, but not an affirmative right to vote out of the Constitution. And that's what leads to these state voter suppression laws and the Supreme Court itself being able to gut the efforts at the federal level uh, to really protect the right to vote. So while we engage in the fight of the legislative level for federal legislation to respond to these voter suppression laws. We also have to do the longer term work of affirmatively placing into the Constitution the right to vote language. And we have to do the longer term work of fighting to overturn these false doctrines of corporations being treated as people and money equaling speech, which led to the Citizens United ruling. The Electoral College ought to be abolished. That needs to be done by a constitutional Amendment, And of course, we need the Equal Rights Amendment to ensure gender equality. Uh, so the, the reality is that when it comes to the Constitution, it's an evolving document. It's been amended 27 times in our history. It, it, it certainly takes an enormous amount of people power to amend it again. But we ought to be engaged in that fight at the same time that we're doing the immediate work to fight, to protect the right to vote, to protect our democracy and to challenge big money in politics in the courts.
0: Yeah, we can walk and chew gum at the same time is is exactly right. And what does that roadmap look like, that long game that you're talking about? Because it is a long game, much as the Republican effort to gerrymander states has been a decades in the making project for them. So what are some of the major steps? Uh, it, It can't just be have an amendment. We have to start with probably fixing gerrymandering securing voting rights, doing the kind of work that we can do in the short term to set us up later for being able to get enough states to ratify a constitutional amendment. Is that sort of what the roadmap looks like here?
2: I definitely agree. And and that includes on the money in politics fighting for reforms that are key to overturning this system of big money in elections with public funding elections, with ending foreign influence, corporate spending in our elections, with ending super PACs. All are achievable and defensible under even the current Supreme Court precedent. But the longer-term work of fighting for a constitutional amendment involves critical public education happening at the state and local level to get people to see uh, that we really do need these protections codified into the Constitution uh, while we engage in these short-term fights. We also have to know, obviously, that we are dealing today with a crisis in our democracy, that the right to vote is under attack by the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, by legislators in states all across this country who have introduced nearly 400 bills to suppress the right to vote. Uh, and that that is a present day uh, danger to our democracy that needs to be addressed. We need to fight in the courts on it and we need to fight in Congress For federal legislation, the For the People Act and the Voting Rights Advancement Act that will respond to these voter suppression laws. And the only way Congress is going to get that done is by ending the filibuster that Jim Crow relic, as President Obama has called it, uh, and enable these critical voting rights bills to be enacted.
0: Yeah, As you were speaking, I wrote. Seems like H.R. 1 S. 1 is the answer. Best we can do now is a carve out for the filibuster for voting rights because we have so much opposition to it. So you're going exactly where I was going with that. And I'm afraid that with the incremental way in which this government operates, it's going to take a lot of pushing for small steps. How do you address some of the fatigue that comes along with with not realizing structural change
2: as fast as we want? You know That's a critical question. I I really believe we have to look at our history and prior movements to see how much struggle was required in order to create change. It's not something that can happen overnight. Systemic change requires time and energy and devotion. But people, as we know, have fought and died for the right to vote. uh, and, And we must, in our generation, now stand up for our democracy and for the right to vote the women's suffrage movement, the labor movement in the 1930s, the abolitionist movement, uh, and of course, the civil rights movement, all are examples where we can draw inspiration uh, and and we can draw knowledge from that history of what it takes.
1: Mm.
2: At the same time, you know, we have at this very moment an opportunity to enact sweeping voting rights legislation at the federal level. And it is inexcusable that those in power who have the ability to get this done are not getting it done. I understand the notion that uh, somehow there ought to be a carve out to the filibuster, but we're at the, of the view at free speech of people, we need to end it all together. And we got to start from that point and draw the line in the sand at that point that this Jim Crow relic should be abolished because it's going to block other critical legislation to protect our society and our democracy going forward. If we don't deal with it. And and the person who's got the biggest holy pulpit on this is the President of the United States, Joe Biden. And, you know, we have to think about what would LBJ have done if he faced a Joe Manchin in the 1960s and Joe Manchin was standing in the way of blocking the Civil Rights Act in 1964 or the Voting Rights Act in 1965? I don't think Joe Manchin would have gotten his way uh, as he's getting it uh, today. So I do think that President Biden needs to follow the mandate of LBJ in standing up for the right to vote, and needs to call for the end of the filibuster, which he has yet to do, uh, and demand that the Senate get this done.
0: Mm. Yeah, agreed. It's 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 a multi-level attack, right? It's it's us pressuring the president and our representatives, and the president pressuring senators. I mean, right. it's 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 all. It needs to come from all sides. I have some more questions for you, particularly about youth outreach and your fourteen point three campaign but i have to take a quick break will you stay with me yes awesome thank you so much hey everybody it's ag with the beans and this segment of the show is brought to you by upstart when you carry a credit balance month after month with high interest rates it can feel like you're trapped in an endless cycle of debt because you are you make those minimum payments and the principal doesn't go down at all but you can make that final payment using upstart and then you can get ahead with your finances upstart is an online personal loan service that helps you pay off your debt fast More than half a million people have used Upstart to consolidate high-interest debt, pay off credit cards, or fund personal expenses with simple fixed monthly payments. Other lenders only look at your credit score. But Upstart looks at income and employment history, too, because you're more than just a number. This means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And upon approval of your loan, funds can be available as quickly as one business day. So many people have lived off credit cards during this pandemic and found themselves in debt. I highly recommend checking out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and other certain information provided in your loan application. Just head to upstart.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by Canva. As you know, as a podcast, we've created a wide range of content for this show. Videos, social posts, website designs, infographics, logos, posters, but it hasn't always been seamless. (laughs) It took a lot of time and it was limited by my design skills. Um, But ever since I discovered Canva Pro, I can design anything like a pro on any device. Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. Designing with Canva Pro is easy and fun, no matter what your level of experience. There are thousands of professionally designed templates you can customize with simple drag and drop tools or start from scratch. Adding personality and edge to your designs is easy with Canva Pro's endless fonts, photos and videos. Their extensive library of tools and features and imagery, it's all available in one subscription. Sharing, creating, and organizing designs as a group has never been easier, too. Canva Pro helps you maintain team projects in one place, so no more lost files or chasing data. With Canva Pro's content planner, you save time planning, creating, and posting social media content as well. You can pause scheduled posts and edit them at any time. My favorite Canva Pro feature is the access to over 75 million photos and 400,000 free templates. I can easily design new logos and posters and web events and more. So design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use our promo code. Just go to canva.me slash beans to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's canva, C-A-N-V-A dot me, M-E slash beans. Canva.me slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the co-founder of FSFP, Free Speech for People, John Bonifaz. Before the break, I had mentioned youth outreach really briefly because I, I, there was a, a podcast that, former President Obama was on within the week after Trump was elected. And I believe it was Pod Save the People. And he had talked about this huge hope with the young people who were going to be turning 18 and they would wash over the country like this wave of change and incredible, you know, progress. And I think that that might be and not our only, but one of our great hopes and great resources is to reach out to the young young voters and you know young people who are about to become voters educate there and 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 move there what does fsfp do to sort of kind of encompass that and include youth outreach for for young people
2: yes well there's no question that we need young people further engaged in our democracy and in these social justice fights and Free Speech People works in partnership with a number of organizations all across the country in, in many of our campaigns, in the constitutional amendment fights that we've waged since we launched to overturn Citizens United and to reclaim our democracy. There's been an enormous amount of youth engagement there. Uh, in our newer uh, work around the 14.3 campaign, dealing with Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, we intend to do that kind of outreach because I think young people in particular uh, want to see accountability? You know, we all want to see it. But when you're raised, uh, you know, with the view, uh, and, and you're young that you think uh, people ought to be treated fairly and equally, and you're learning about our democracy, and you're realizing that right now, at least, it looks like people uh, in power or those who have been in power and engaged in this insurrection are not going to be held accountable. That is, I think, very damaging to the notion that you know, we have a fair system and that, in fact, our democracy is being protected and no one is above the law, not even Mm. the former president of the United States. So we we do think that the 14.3 campaign is one way that we can activate young people and get them to see how accountability can happen at the local and state level.
0: Yeah. And I I feel like they're a little less tolerant of how long things take, where, you know, as Somebody my age is like, oh, that's just the way it is. It's because it's been that way my entire life. That doesn't mean that it has to be this way going forward. Of course, we have to work within the system. Don't get me wrong.
2: (laughs) but I I agree with you. And and in fact, Dr. King spoke often about the notion that we we should not be patient Mm -hmm. when it comes to the fight for justice, Uh, you know, that we have every right to be impatient. He was constantly told, as we know, to, uh, you know, back off and don't be so forceful in what he was trying to accomplish. Uh, And and he famously wrote from his letter from Birmingham jail, uh, this letter to uh, white moderates, white moderate uh, preachers who were condemning him for uh, being too militant in their view uh, that he was tired of being told to be patient. So I agree with you. I think the impatience is, Mm -hmm. is necessary to fuel what has to happen right now in this crisis for our democracy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a break the glass moment. There's definitely Correct. a sense of urgency and we all need to respond to that. And you mentioned the 14.3 campaign. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Because I heard I heard a lot about it right after the insurrection and then it sort of died out. And I want to bring that back to the forefront, that the idea of the of the 14.3 campaign. What is it?
2: So the 14.3 campaign is a campaign we have recently launched that makes clear that the Section three of the 14th Amendment which of course was enacted after the civil war must be enforced by secretaries of state and chief election officials all across the country. That section says that no one who has taken an oath of office and then engages in insurrection or gives aid or comfort to insurrectionists may hold future public office at the federal state and local level. It was designed to deal with the Confederates who had broken from the union engaged in that insurrection. uh, And after the Civil War, the view was that they shouldn't be able to hold a public office. Now, there was four years after the enactment of the 14th Amendment that included this provision, there was an amnesty law passed by Congress to effectively provide amnesty to the Confederates. And the view was it was, uh, you know, somehow igniting further white anger uh, and it was, uh, you know, undermining the ability for the country to come together. And that's why that amnesty law was passed. But moving forward, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment remains relevant today. So even though that amnesty law legislatively wiped away the accountability for the Confederates, the accountability remains for people going into the future who would engage in insurrection or give aid or comfort to insurrectionists. Now, of course, we haven't had to look at this part of the constitution since that time until more recently, right? Because we haven't had another insurrection until January 6th of 2021. But that now needs to be lifted back up because the reality here is, is that Donald Trump, as we know, incited this insurrection, he fomented the big lie that there was a fraudulent election in November of 2020 that led thousands of people to show up on January 6th and try to overturn the election results, legitimate election results from November, 2020 to stop the certification of the county electoral college votes to certify Joe Biden as president. This was an attempted coup. Uh, This was an insurrection and Donald Trump was at the head of it. And the idea that Donald Trump can now think he can run for office again, appear on the ballot all across the country uh, in 2024 is contrary to the plain meaning of section three of the 14th amendment, as well as others who participated in giving aid or comfort uh, to insurrections, they too ought to be barred uh, under section three of the 14th amendment from appearing on the ballot. So we have issued letters to every single secretary of state, chief election official all across the country in all 50 states in the district of Columbia, making clear in detailed uh, form why, Section three of the 14th Amendment now needs to be applied and that Donald Trump, starting with him, should not be allowed to appear on the ballot in their state. And what we're doing with this campaign, we've launched a video that goes with it, and you can find all this at our website at freespeechforpeople.org, is we're calling upon people all across the country to join us, to reach out to their chief election official in their state, their secretary of state, and to make clear that they need to abide by section three of the 14th Amendment and bar insurrectionists or those who gave aid and comfort to insurrectionists from holding future public office.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because in Rep Swalwell's lawsuit against Mo Brooks, he says the words aid and comfort and or instigating an attack on the Capitol. And before we chatted today, I poured through again, (laughs) because I've read it a million times, the Mo Brooks decision from the Department of Justice that they would not certify that his language at the ellipse, falls under the Westfall Act, meaning that the Department of Justice would replace Mo Brooks in that lawsuit and Mo Brooks would be given immunity, basically, in that that tort. But I couldn't find any language that would indicate that the Department of Justice is unwilling to even consider 14-3 or would limit their ability to do so. They, in fact, they said, it, well, this was a campaign rally, so it doesn't count for the Westfall Act. But if you, if court, hello, court, if you don't dismiss certification or deny certification based on the, our campaign theory, you need to do it anyway, because instigating an attack on the Capitol, if what is alleged in Swalwell's lawsuit is true, instigating an attack on the Capitol is not part of your job duties as a congressman. It's actually the Correct. opposite. Correct. And to take it a step further, there was nothing that they said the court would need to conclude that he didn't instigate an attack on the Capitol in order to do this. You can't do that. But it it makes it feel like if if this lawsuit is successful or if there's an investigation, which the Department of Justice alluded to in that filing, that 14-3 could be applied. There wasn't anything what I'm saying is anything blocking that from happening. Right.
2: Yeah, no. And that's important development. No question about it in terms of their filing in that case. I will say that our reading of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment does not require a court ruling or a ruling by another tribunal that there was an insurrection in order for a secretary of state to apply it. Uh, There's nothing in the language of the 14th Amendment and no history with respect to the application of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that requires a prior court ruling. But there's certainly no question that were a court to rule uh, that Mo Brooks or Donald Trump or others engage in insurrection or gave aid or to the insurrectionists, then those individuals uh, would, I think, face the accountability as they should under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, even more so. And a secretary of state could apply uh, that ruling as a basis uh, for blocking those individuals from the ballot.
0: And when you say secretary of state, who, who I guess, applies 14.3? It's not the Department of Justice. It's not Correct. The United States secretary of state. Do, I mean, how what does that look like if someone were to decide, Mo Brooks, you can't serve because you instigated an attack on the Capitol? Whose responsibility is that? Is it the individual states secretaries of state?
2: Well, it's a great question. So, first of all, there is a resolution, as you may know, that's been introduced by Congresswoman Cory Bush right after the insurrection that sought to expel every single member of the House of Representatives who voted after the insurrection to overturn the election results. So it's one thing to say, well, I just wanted to, you know, participate in this process and raise my questions about what happened in 2020. And even if they admitted that they were going to foment the further big lie, but for them to do it after the the Capitol had been stormed, this violent attack and five people had died and 140 plus police officers had been injured and all the seditious uh, violence that occurred at the U.S. Capitol for them to reconvene and then vote the way they did to overturn the election results clearly is giving aid and comfort. So what Congresswoman Bush has done is she wants the House of Representatives to expel those members, uh, that they no longer have the right, having taken oath of office to defend the Constitution, to stay in office. Now, she doesn't cite Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, with respect to this, but but the fact is is that uh, the application is, is the same, that in fact, you know, there is no reason why The House of Representatives couldn't engage in proceedings to determine whether Mo Brooks or anyone else who gave aid or comfort to the insurrection shouldn't be removed from the House of Representatives. That's one way it can happen. But certainly another way for the application of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment can happen is via the states. Secretaries of State often, and sometimes it's not the Secretary of State, it's a Board of Elections or it's a different body in a particular state, determines whether you have the qualifications to appear on the ballot. So for if you're running for president, it's pretty clear under the constitution, you have to be 35, you have to be a naturalized citizen, you have to have 14 years of, of residence in the United States. And under section three of the 14th Amendment, you can't take an oath of office and then turn around and engage in insurrection Or give aid or comfort to it. So, those are qualifications for being president of the United States. And each secretary of state or each chief election official, when they look at someone's petition to appear on the ballot, needs to determine is this person qualified? So, if a 10 year old petitioned to be on the ballot running for president and wanted to appear on the ballot in in the state of Texas or state of California, Hmm. the secretary of state would have every right to deny that person being on the ballot because He or she doesn't meet the age qualification to become president of the United States at that time. Same goes for here. Secretary of State has the ability or chief election official to look at what happened in terms of the events of January 6th, determine that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection or gave aid or comfort to it, and bar him from appearing on the ballot in 2024.
0: Yeah, but members of the Sedition Caucus come from red states with Republican secretaries of state. And expelling someone from Congress is a very high bar. That's why I was kind of wondering if Department of Justice could step in on behalf or if that's if if that's a federalist sort of issue, separation of powers issue.
2: You know, I I don't I don't know whether the Department of Justice could step in and actually uh, play a role here without enforcement legislation coming out of Congress. If Congress after this House Select Committee investigation were to agree, obviously, with the filibuster having been removed in the Senate, you know, to pass enforcement legislation and say, well, we've now had this second insurrection. And there was enforcement legislation passed after the 14th Amendment was enacted that led to prosecutors going into, for example, Tennessee and removing people from the Tennessee Supreme Court who were Confederates. So that could happen, but they would need that kind of enforcement legislation to have the authority to do it. But for now, the Secretary of State do have those those authorities to do it. Now, you're right that in a state with a Secretary of State who doesn't even view this as an insurrection and questions uh, still the, the results of the 2020 election, uh, that that is going to be a, a tall order. But I, I, I do think that the public has a role here in making it clear that they're going to be violating the Constitution if they place Trump on the ballot, wherever people may live, whether they're in a red state, blue state, purple state, wherever they may live, we ought to be lifting up this constitutional language because it's designed to protect our Republic and protect our democracy. And we can't look away from the fact that there was an insurrection on January 6th that elected officials who swore to take an oath to the constitution to protect it uh, and defend it, that they participated in that insurrection, that they engaged In it, and that they gave aid or comfort to it, and that that provision of the Constitution bars them from holding future public office. We ought to have that debate in every state, regardless of whether the Secretary of State is refusing to look at the facts.
0: Well, in the spirit of lifting up that language, can you tell everyone where they can find and support your organization?
2: Yes, at freespeechforpeople.org. You can find on our homepage a link to this new campaign, the 14.3 campaign. You also can go directly to it at 1414 point, uh, spelled out P-O-I-N-T and number three.org. 14.3.org gets you there as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a really incredible conversation and I encourage everyone to, to check that out, support in any way you can. We have to lift that language up and put it out there. Thank you very much, John Banifaz.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Nowadays, mass produced products are geared toward being quick and cheap to produce, and the quality is not a priority. Neither is the workforce. But our sponsors today, American Giant, has set out to bring the best craftsmanship and attention to detail back to the marketplace. Bayard Winthrop, who's the founder and CEO of American Giant, was determined to make the best t shirt possible because he wasn't satisfied with what was available on the market. American Giant's best selling premium slub tee's iconic silhouette is made in the United States with quality care made with custom heavyweight slub fabric that's non-see-through and non-torquing unlike other slub tees on the market. American Giant spent over a year obsessing over the fabric and tested several variations until they found the perfect one. It's made with 100% American-grown cotton with rich and varied textures that give it this really awesome unique look and it holds its shape and its color after wash and wear. It's awesome. With this custom fabric and tailored fit, American Giant's premium tee is incomparable to other tees. First thing I noticed about it was how substantial it was yet how comfortably it fit the best quality clothes that look and feel greater at American Giant. Get your new favorite tees at American-Giant.com today and use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 15% off your first order. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. And today's podcast is also brought to you by Everlane. Some of your favorite everyday adventures are getting lost in a new book or discovering a great new happy hour. But whether you're exploring a new world in the pages of a book or trying out a new patio brunch spot, Everlane has premium essentials to outfit you in comfort. I love the versatility of Everlane. Their pieces can be used to dress up or down, and you could wear them for anything, going out or relaxing at home. Since 2010, they've been making quality clothing with timeless designs using sustainable materials and ethical factories. Plus, they have transparent pricing, and they share exactly how much of their product's cost goes to produce at each stage. Everlane has everything you need to upgrade your summer look, whether you're going out in the town with friends or having a moving night with the fam. And for those beach days or pool parties, you can check out Everlane's sustainable swimwear collection made from 13,768 pounds of recycled plastic. That's amazing. Everlane has all the everyday essentials you need from damn good denim to super soft loungewear. They accept returns within 30 days of the ship date and all uniform clothing comes with a 365 day guarantee. So go to everlane.com dailybeans and sign up for 10% off your first order plus free shipping and you'll get easy returns within 30 days of your ship date. That's 10% off your first order when you go to Everlane, E-V-E-R-L-A-N-E dot com slash Daily Beans and sign up today. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. news And if you have any good news or corrections or a confession, or something, a, a dispute you need settled in Amy's court or you have any funny mixed up idioms or you want to tell me how dumb Louis Gomert is or want to play Find the Cat. Or if
1: your kid said some shit. Yeah. I mean, shit on. kids
0: say or what the mutt, town twisters, limbers. Whatever you want to send in, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. This is the most cathartic part of my day. And I love it, especially on Mondays because the weekend news dump is pretty intense. So I'm going to kick us off, Dana, with a submission from Owen. Owen, bring me my soda. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see the name Owen, it's always <laughs> it's, all, it's always throw mama from the train, right? Oh, such a good movie. Owen, you clumsy poop. <laughs> I'm sorry, Owen. I love you. I shared a picture of my dog, Ronan, a Japanese spitz a couple weeks ago. And now I'd like to share some bad news, good news about my other dog, Jacko, the greyhound. The bad news part is that Jacko suffered from happy tail syndrome. That's where a dog wags his tail so enthusiastically and carelessly that the dog constantly hits the tail against solid objects, leading to cuts and abrasions on the tip of the tail that never heal. Because the lovable idiot keeps whacking his goddamn tail against things. Despite our best efforts at bandaging his tail, the tip of Jacko's tail got infected and became necrotic down to the bone. Unfortunately, when this happens, there's only one treatment, amputation. So Jacko's long, majestic greyhound tail got reduced to a shaved pink four inch nub using inches for you Americans, despite the fact that I'm in Australia where we use the metric system like civilized people. Yeah, I, I concur, Owen. That is the bad news. The good news is that his operation was a success. And now the fur has grown back on his mini tail. It no longer looks like he has an erect penis sticking out above his butt. Jesus. You already have so many people telling you how amazing you are. So I'm just going to tell you that I hope you can make it to Australia, specifically Melbourne, once our respective countries have sorted out their COVID shit shows. I hope so, too. Oh, look at the precious little nubbins. Cuteness. (laughs) So cute.
1: Even he looks like he's like, don't take a picture of my butt. Uh, oh, look, look at his, at his face. Look at
0: my stupid tail. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Aww. This is from David. Pronouncing him. After the death of two of our house kitties, one from old age and one from cancer, my wife Jill and I adopted Breezy from a shelter. Breezy's blending well with our dog Bug and Cheddar Bob, our daughter's cat. <laughs> she named that cat, I bet. <laughs> uh-huh, oh, yeah. And they were like, okay, you can keep it. And he's curious about the noise our birds make, but hasn't really focused on them yet. The cockatiel is suspicious.
0: (laughs) Nothing like a suspicious cockatiel. Yeah, like there he he is. Aww. (laughs) a handsome bird. Cockatiel,
1: little side-eye. Little side-eye from the cockatiel.
0: (laughs) Cockatiels are pros at side-eye. All right, next up. I'm going to take the next two here. Anonymous Grandma. Hello, Anonymous Grandma. I love you. My submissions for Shit Kids Say, courtesy of four-year-old James, when I asked what TV show he wanted to watch, one day at Grandma's house, he said The Cheese Show. It took us a while to decipher that he meant Spongebob Squarepants. Oh, funny. <laughs> you know, because Spongebob looks like Swiss cheese. <laughs> it's been a few weeks now, and he still calls it The Cheese Show. I mean, it does.
1: It looks like Spongebob. It looks like Swiss cheese and pants.
0: Yeah, yeah. Chatterbob. Well, oh, Swiss Bob. Next up from Dale K. Pronounce he and him. Today, I learned Fleetwood Mac was singing about secondhand news, not blues. <laughs> <laughs> what is secondhand blues like? With bizarre love triangle. It's like if you're sad, then I get sad. Ah, uh, okay. I thought it was. I thought there was sex involved. See? It's a song about empathy. <laughs> <laughs> you yawn, I yawn. Exactly. Secondhand, secondhand blues. All right, you've met Pod Pets, Darla, and Doodlebug. Malty poos and or malted Shitballs. <laughs> Great name. Oh my God. Fantastic. Pepper time. It's pepper time. All awesome. right.
1: All yeah, right. I always feel like you should end the good news. All right. This next one's from Karen, pronouns she and her. A follow onto the proposed new name for TFG. Twice impeached. I like it. We can refer to him as the twimp. <laughs> for pet tax, Sirius, named by my grandkids, who adopted us, and Buddy, my grandfur baby.
0: Oh, look at the babies. Oh, that dog. Oh, I and the cat. I want to play What the Mutt with that dog. That's an interesting combo. That is combo. an interesting combo. Oh, doggos. And then the kitty. Huh. Oh, so cute. All right, lady. Take it away. All right. Finally, from Gail, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies of the beans. I absolutely love your shows, Allison. I've been listening since MSW, After the Kitchen Table Days. It's been fun listening to you grow your media network along the way. Thank you for sifting through all the news that comes at us in waves and putting it into context. And Dana, thank you for bringing trans issues to the forefront. I became interested in this topic in law school in about 2009 when I took a class taught by a trans professor. Now I'm always on the lookout for places where I can help amplify voices of support. For my pet tax, I give you George and Jake, our marvelous cats. Both are rescues from terrible situations. Now they're happy and healthy cats who love to pose for pictures. George is a gray tabby who sometimes looks brown and tan. The pic of him in the collage has him showing me his belly after being in my house for about 24 hours. That's a big deal. He loves to snuggle and sleep, some my side of the bed. Jake is the orange tabby. He, He has the dentist, the menace qualities typical of most orange tabbies. But he is mostly deaf and doesn't see very well, so getting his attention is sometimes challenging. He sleeps wherever he feels like sleeping. <laughs> now five years has passed since we adopted him, and he and my wife are thick as thieves. Our two boys are good friends, too. Until Jake attacks George from behind, then it's on. Oh. Oh, oh what a cutie. Yeah, look at that second picture. That's so adorable. Oh, they oh.
1: really are sweet. Oh, the yes. eyes at the end. The mouse is there, and he's like, fuck <gasps> off.
0: Oh, dang. The snuggles, though, kill me every time. So cute. But yeah, that that, that cat is plotting someone's Oh, hell death. yeah. Yeah. And
1: <laughs> the one looking around the corner. <laughs> that pl- <laughs> cat is plotting someone's stuff. Uh,
0: they usually are. I'm sure of it. No, for sure. Well, thank you for all these submissions, everyone. These are wonderful. And if you have anything you want to contribute, please do so. You can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Yeah, so I'll be in D.C., over the weekend, and we do have a Beans patron brunch on Sunday at noon. The location will be given to everyone on Patreon. We're going to have a couple special guests pop in, but it's going to be a really fun brunch at noon. And then Monday at 5 p.m., Andrew Torres and I will do a live recording of Clean Up on Isle 45 Ooh. for Clean Up on Isle 45 patrons. And there's an RSVP form on the Clean Up on Aisle 45 Patreon page. Nice. Yeah. So it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a really fun trip. I'm gonna be there for like four or five days. It's gonna be awesome. So I'm, nice. I'm really looking forward to it. That's all I've got. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here?
1: No, I don't. I wanna wish everyone a good week. I cannot believe we're at the end of August almost woof.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. It's gonna be I feel like the, the last the last few months, the last quarter here is just gonna fly right by. And oh, before yeah. you know it, we'll be talking about the holidays and Christmas. And oh God. How
1: dare you? How very dare you. <laughs>
0: and uh you know hanukkah all that good stuff that's my favorite time of year honestly it's the the best for candles really
1: yeah i I actually like the decorations i'm a big thanksgiving fan because we haven't commercialized Mm -hmm. it yet so that's always one of my food and i do understand though it's not the best holiday when it comes to (laughs) the american holidays but in its celebration of i do enjoy it because there's you know the, the commercialization's not there it's It's family and food and friends and yeah. I wish we, I wish we spending time together. Called it something
0: else or let's call it something else. Let's just have it food day. Third Thursdays, family. Third Thursdays, family food day. Woo! -woo. (laughs) I like it. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill and I've been Dana Goldberg and them's the beans.